Hello and welcome to the VSC podcast. My name is Hannah Jennerine, my pronouns are she, her, and I am the Education and Prevention Coordinator at the Victim Service Center of Central Florida. In this podcast, we discuss sensitive topics such as violence and sexual assault. It's important to take care of yourself while listening. Some suggestions are listening while you're in a healthy headspace or knowing who you can reach out to if you become upset. Our 24-7 helpline for crisis calls based out of Central Florida is 407-500-HEAL. For the Florida State Sexual Helpline, call 888-956-7273. By contacting the national hotline at 1-800-656-4673, you can get support and learn about your local resources. There's always someone ready to help. In today's episode, I have with me Monica May, who is a consultant for Monica May Communications, founder of Let's Spill the Tea, a nonprofit organization, and an amazing radio host for Point of View, a community-focused talk show, and Soul School Sunday, a reminiscent music set, which both air on Star 94.5. Monica is here to share her story with domestic violence and help us understand what emotional and physical abuse looks like in a relationship. Before we start, I do want to provide some context into what an abusive relationship entails. And I will say that abusive relationships don't start off that way. In the beginning, there is intense love, passion, and intimacy. The abuser portrays themselves as someone who is devoted, committed, and incredibly romantic. However, over time, these individuals gradually start to become manipulative, controlling, and cruel. I know it can be confusing because the image that they portray to you in the beginning of the relationship is completely different than who they are today. And someone who is a victim of an abusive relationship doesn't understand this change. In trying to make sense of it, they start to question and blame themselves when it was never their fault. Abusers seek to gain or maintain power and control over a partner. They believe this is their right because in their eyes, it's either their feelings and needs should be a priority in the relationship or they just enjoy exerting that kind of domination over another. Oftentimes, when we hear about domestic violence, intimate partner violence, or dating abuse, we automatically think physical. We imagine someone hitting, kicking, pushing, even biting their partner to harm them. However, physical abuse is just one example of an abusive relationship. There is also sexual abuse, which is forcing your partner to do anything sexual from kissing to having sex. And I will say that before engaging in a sexual activity, there needs to be consent every single time because without that consent, it is then considered to be a sexual assault or a rape. There's also verbal abuse. Verbal abuse is name calling, put downs, using words that you know will hurt the other person. Emotional abuse is when your partner tries to make you feel bad about yourself. So they call you names that they know you don't like. They hurt your feelings on purpose. They use jealousy. They blame you for the abuse. They cheat on you and they continually criticize you. 
And I will say that emotional and verbal abuse can leave lifelong scars by making someone feel as if they aren't good enough and that they deserve the bad treatment that they currently get. There's also mental and psychological abuse. This is where gaslighting comes in. Gaslighting is when abusers use phrases that make the victim doubt their own sanity and reality. So for example, they'll move the car, keys, or cheat. And when the victim asks them about it, they'll say, you're overreacting, you need help. I didn't do that. And over time, the effect that these phrases have cause the victim to not trust their own judgment. And therefore, victims feel the need to rely on abusers more. There's also reproductive control. This is pressuring your partner to get pregnant and end a pregnancy, lying about birth control, or controlling decisions about pregnancy and parenting overall. There's threats and intimidation, which is the use of violence or abuse to control a partner, threatening the victim with their children, telling them that if they leave, they'll commit suicide, or physical violence are all ways to control a victim's behavior. Isolation is also controlling who the victim sees, what they do, and limits access to their friends, family, budgeting how much money they can spend, not letting the victim work, not even letting the victim open up their own bank account. These are tactics used to keep the victim isolated and so they have the only power and control over them. And finally, there's cultural and identity abuse, which includes racial slurs, threatening to out someone from the LGBTQ community and isolating someone who doesn't speak the dominant language in that area. Looking at it from the perspective of someone who isn't in an abusive relationship, it can be confusing as to why that person continues to stay. However, there are multiple reasons why it is so hard for victims to leave. Some of these reasons include and are not limited to fear. Fear that this person will hurt them. Fear that this person will switch the story so that no one believes them. The victim could also have a disability and they rely on the abuser to provide them with medication and take them to the hospital. The victim could also rely financially because the victim made sure that they don't have access to a job or even a bank account. And also, many victims don't see a way out. After years of emotional, verbal, and psychological abuse, they believe that this is what they deserve. Their self-esteem has dropped so heavily and they are scarred. For more information about abuse and the dynamic of power and control, I've dropped a link in the description below of a power and control wheel. This is a frame of reference that describes abuse. And I do want to point out that domestic violence can happen to anyone. So it's important to be able to identify whether the relationships you have in your life is healthy or not. So with this all being said, I would like to introduce Miss Monica May. Monica, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Of course. Before we get into the questions, I do want to say, like I was just mentioning to Monica, I attended her domestic violence panel in October. And that was the first time that I ever attended something like that. And it was so eye-opening because my biggest takeaway was that domestic violence, sexual assault, it's a silent epidemic. It's happening all the time. And in relationships that we think are like picture perfect, we don't really know what's going on 
inside of them and what's really happening. And in this episode today, I really hope our listeners, I really hope our audience can take away and learn something and can decipher whether the relationships that they're in in their lives are healthy or unhealthy. So Monica, I'm so excited that you're here so that we can talk about this. Thank you. And and thank you to Louie also for having you come to that. Um, the station has just been so overwhelmed by the response that we got from that. And we're getting ready to do one on mental health with an emphasis on suicide. And it's just, it's an opportunity for the station to come inside, for the for the listeners to come inside the station and really interact in, in a different kind of a way. So I'm grateful to Elroy Smith, that's our program director, for allowing these opportunities, such as the one we did on domestic violence. So thank you again, Hannah. <laughs> thank you, Monica. We appreciate the work that you're doing. So to jump into it, Monica, can you please share with our listeners your story of being in an emotionally and physically abusive relationship? Well, let's see. Monique is now 32. That's my daughter. I met her dad when I was working for a radio station in Atlanta, and we got involved too quickly. And by that, I mean, we didn't get to know each other's backgrounds before we simply felt this um, an amazing, I would say, connection, probably more so physical than anything else. And we quickly moved in with each other. And it was a way to help with bills, but it was also a way to be in a relationship. And I think for me, I had not had very, very many good relationships and probably didn't know how to be in one. So at, I, sometimes women think that a person, they're showing obvious signs of insecurity, but we're seeing it as signs of, oh, he's really into me, he's calling me, or he's showing up places that I am. And, and that was beginning to happen early on. Didn't take it for what it was, though. And um, it, it was overall, I would say, probably one of the most unhealthiest relationships that I had ever been in. And from it, a child was born. Mm -hmm. And as you reflect, can you remember what the first red flag was and how did the dynamic of your relationship change afterwards? The first red flag came even before we moved in, how it all began. He was standing over me at the radio station and I was writing a checkout for something. And I guess he saw what was in my checkbook and he said, we need to hook up. That should have been the first red flag for me. But, um, you know, you want to be in a relationship. You want to look beyond those seemingly red flags, as they call them, um, and just hope that this person didn't say what you thought you heard or didn't mean what you think it actually meant. And like I said, we, we did everything so quickly. I met his family. Um, he, he, that's only because they visited. My family didn't really come down to Atlanta as much. My family's from New York. And being in radio, I've lived in several cities and they didn't come checking on me a whole lot then either. So um, they had never had an opportunity to meet him. And like I said, 
the relationship moved quickly. And before you knew it, we were living together. And before you knew it, um, I think drugs and alcohol played a big part of it. Um, both of us were in clubs a lot, hosting events, and there would be moments of jealousy. And those were some other red flags. I'm not a very jealous person. And I, I think what was happening was that I, I, you, you just see things. You, you just see things. And you know, you know it in your gut that something is wrong, that someone is not right, but you keep pushing past it, you know? Right. So how long were you in a relationship with this person for? We probably were in a relationship uh, maybe two, three years. So two, three years. And then did it end after two, three years? Or since you had a child, it was like you had to be in contact with him. Not necessarily. So, So what happened was I, if we're being transparent, I found out (laughs) my father, who's a musician, um, called me one morning and he had a premonition. He had a premonition and he said, go to the doctor, just just go to the doctor. And I had been feeling pretty cruddy. I I didn't know what it was. And I went and found out I was pregnant. Now I had terminated before and I just said, I, I don't want to do that. I, I'm going to move forward with this. Now, mind you, at the time, I'm trying to think, was the station had changed format. And I was not working there. I was doing some temporary stuff for BET. Mm-hmm. And he was still working at the station. And so didn't have um, health insurance. Mm-hmm. So my daughter kind of makes a joke out of it and says, I was this close to being a a Grady baby. And Grady is the the free hospital in Atlanta where Mm -hmm. you have many um, black and brown babies born there. And yeah, I did start prenatal there, but uh, did not finish it. And the interesting thing was midway into the pregnancy, he got a job offer and the job offer moved him to Cleveland, Ohio. Now he's from Akron, Ohio, mm-hmm. and that was like sending a lion back into their den because it was all of his friends, everything that he wanted to do, he got a chance to do, but um, I couldn't. I was relegated to having to stay at home. Mind you, we didn't pick up or I didn't pick up with my prenatal. So I went several months without getting the care that I needed. And then one day we had a really big, really big fight and this time it was quite physical and I'm in my probably sixth month at this time and I got shoved and when I was shoved I hit a wall and I fell backwards not even realizing that the wall was that close to me and I landed on the floor and I just knew that my baby was gonna something was gonna be wrong because my belly hit the hit the ground and After that, I knew, you know what, this is not going to wind up good. My mother had called during times of this and she just said, is is it worth it? You always sound so unhappy. Mm -hmm. And my father, the same thing. Um, And I realized that I deserved more than that. I realized that it, it was time to get out. 
before one of us got seriously injured. And I, I wanted to end the relationship even before we moved to Ohio, but I had left him before and I had gone back. And I just said, you know what? Let me do this. Let me, for the sake of this child, be able to say I attempted to make it work, but it did not work with your dad. And that's what I did. Once I got to Ohio, I knew there's no way that this could ever be a healthy relationship. And what I did after that was I, I left in the middle of the night, to be honest with you. I, I had his job. I knew some of the people he worked for, a very reputable record company. Mm-hmm. And I called his boss and I said, could you send him out of town? And this is a true story. And they said, uh, what are you planning to do? And I said, nothing. I just, we just need a break. And what I did was I called home and my mom said to me words that I, they still make me tear up. She said, I was just waiting for you to reach out. Mm-hmm. And so I went back to New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, we lived in the projects and I now at this point, I'm seven months pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I went back and got prenatal care and picked up and had the baby. And I, I never looked back. I didn't want to connect with him. I wouldn't take his calls when he would call, you know, the house. I don't even know how he got my mother's number, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't talk with him. And here's the thing, Hannah. I don't know if it was the amount of terminated pregnancies before we're being transparent or it was just what happened was I almost lost my life uh, delivering my baby. Wow. And so, yeah. And now I'm getting ready to do an interview about um, maternal mortality for black and brown women, because it, it's, it's a thing and it should not still be happening, but we're losing our lives at rates that are just, despicable still to this day. This is 32 years later. This is still happening. A simple pregnancy gone bad, a delivery gone bad. And so um, there was one thing that he said to my mom and, and she shared it with me that made me say, I could never ever, ever go back. And he said, hmm, I bet you she won't do that again. In other words, have a baby. And I, I just, how, out of all that was going on, that's the one thing you could that's say. One thing not, I'm so happy that you're alive and that the baby's fine, whatever. That's the one thing you could say. So I knew I had made the right decision. And I can honestly say that I did attempt to go to try to work things out. It was not meant for me. And I thank God that he opened my eyes because I had bruises, Hannah. Um, visible bruises on my neck, on my arms, you know, where you could see the the amount of physical alterations, altercations that we had had over the years. And I just didn't want to bring a child into that. And the one thing that struck me and still stands out is that one day I was, now I had a car, mind you, but he would take my car and I wouldn't see him for days. And this one day I was, I had an appointment um, with, with the doctor and I'm coming up 
Buford Highway in Atlanta, getting off of the train and the bus to get back to my house. And I'm walking up the hill and I said, this doesn't make any sense. Why are you walking and out here in the cold like this? This man's got your car. Come on, girl, you deserve better than that. So I used to have to have these pep talks with myself because when an abusive person is really in your ear, you might start believing some of the things that they're saying about you. And I think for a moment, I did. I began to think that I was worthless. I began to feel like I couldn't do any better. I began to fall prey into the crap that he was trying to put out there. And I just had to talk myself, talk. And that's what I would do. I would talk and I would journal. And that was how I pulled myself together. And then after having my daughter um, and trying to get myself together because I had to go back in the hospital, they kept me for 10 days. Usually you come out of the hospital after having a baby a day or so back then. Um, They kept me for 10 days. They had made some mistakes. They left the placenta in me. But that was because, yeah, that was because I began to hemorrhage as soon as the baby was born. And she just tore so much of me coming out and they couldn't stop the bleeding. I actually wound up having, and this is why I'm so big with the Red Cross, 10 blood transfusions in the process of, yeah, yeah, yeah. So on the 10th day, they finally sent me home, but I just didn't feel well. My, my stomach was still bloated. And I'm like, I still look like I'm about four or five months pregnant. What is going on? And I didn't have any energy. And my family came to visit so they could see the baby. And my aunt took me in the back and she said, lay on the floor. I want to give you a massage. Not good. That was not a good feeling. Soon as I stood up, it was like I was urinating blood. And so apparently there were some blood clots that had been left in. One of them could have traveled to my heart. And I just thank God that I had the wherewithal to say, I need to get back to the hospital. And they took me back. And that's when they realized that they had left the placenta in. But I'm going to tell you something. When you are black and brown and you're on welfare, you're almost totally disregarded. And that's how I felt because I began to call different um, attorneys to see if there was malpractice involved. Because how do you leave the placenta? how, How could you not know it wasn't expelled? And that's what was making me so sick. My body had gone into like toxic shock. Mm-hmm. And so I was really, really, really sick. And when they took me back to the hospital the second time and they gave me something called Pitocin, Pitocin helps induce the labor. And before we even got up to the uh, operating room, because they were going to just do an exploratory, mm-hmm. I expelled the placenta. They still had to rush me into the surgery, though. And when I came out, the doctor was sitting on the foot of my bed And Hannah, there were intravenous tubes going into my feet. My veins had collapsed. All of this, she said, came out of stress. All of it came out of malnutrition. And also um, some other things that she said. But the biggest thing that she said 
was that I just had to see if you were going to wake up because you were in that bad shape when you came in here. So I say that to say that after going through all of that, there was no way I could go back to that person. No. You know, and I, I chose not to ever have um, connection with him again. It wasn't about taking care of the, he just wasn't going to do it. He wasn't, he, listen, you know, I tried keeping in touch with his, his mom. Um, and that was interesting because I felt she's got a grandchild. Let her get to know this child. Um, that worked for a moment, but then she would try to manipulate that relationship. And I didn't want that. So Monique didn't really get to have interaction with her dad until maybe five years later when we saw him at her fifth year birthday party. I was living and working at a radio station in Montgomery, Alabama. And he came to a birthday party. He was living back in Atlanta at the time. And there was no connection. There was no connect. There was no feeling for me. Um, Monique said something that was so interesting. She said, okay, so now can we go? So there was no connection there either. Mm -hmm. So she's tried to maintain a, um, a, a semblance of connection with him. His mom just passed not too long ago. Mm -hmm. And Monique tried to um, get a chance to get back up there to Ohio. But it, domestic violence is something that I think I saw for the first time when I was still an infant. They say your earliest memories are not supposed to be like two and three years old. But I clearly remember a fight that my mother and father were having. And I threw my bottle out of the crib at them to try and get them to stop. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember seeing my dad anymore after that. You know, so like I said, he was a musician in New York and they had um, about a 10 year relationship. He was very good to my mom, but they just, you know, there, there's a lot that's offered to a young musician who's handsome and all of that good stuff. So their relationship didn't last. And my, I have an older sister. She had him for about the, that the full 10 years. And I have a younger sister who he married her mother later on, and she had him for about 10 years. So as the middle girl, I have only had him those three years and don't remember much more. But we did develop a relationship later on. And I learned something, too. Most girls, no matter what their dad does or however much he abandons them, they still want to be a daddy's girl. And I realized I didn't have that kind of a feeling. So and I didn't have something to, you know, relate a relationship to, or so that's, he's like my dad or whatever. And for me coming out of domestic violence, that's the one thing that I say, I think I always wanted to have a protector or someone whom I could look up to, but I never really found that. And for me, that incident of domestic violence kept me away from committing in relationships. I just didn't want to get close mm -hmm. anymore. So it wasn't until, believe it or not, I was 57 years old and went on a blind date. 
And when I walked in the restaurant, I saw my husband. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Total stranger. We were set up on a blind date. And I went in the relation in the in the uh, restaurant and I said, Thank you, Lord. There's my husband. Wow. That's the man that I wound up marrying. He knows all of my background, he knows my insecurities, and he knows about the domestic violence, and he knows how long it took me to trust. Mm-hmm. But I just knew that he was the right person. And through it all, even if we argue, there's so much love in this household that I never, ever, ever experienced, even as a kid growing up. Mm-hmm. So I know I said a lot. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for sharing your story. I mean, it's, it's a lot to it. And one thing, there are a lot of things actually that stuck out to me. And it was how or the or what was going on within your relationship, the emotional abuse, because I'm sure he was calling you terrible names. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he was gaslighting you and making you feel or questioning your sanity and your reality. And on top of that, when he started hitting you, was was that the first time that he was physically abusive when he pushed you down when you were pregnant? No, that's that that's okay. that's why I really felt crazy because we had gotten into physical situations before. And I, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. Usually it was me starting it because he was so disrespectful. And, you know, I'm a New Yorker. I'm a fighter. And I'd be like, you can't say that to me or you can't do that to me. And the next thing you know, I'm so the struggle was real. The ver- the struggle was real. And that's why my mom called me one day and she said, nobody's worth you going to jail for. Exactly. And I need you to know that. And I never said to anyone, that's the other thing, um, a, a violator or an abuser will push you off into like their own little sphere where nobody can get to you. Mm-hmm. Like, isolation yeah that's the word um yeah so I was isolated um my sister brought it to my attention she said for years I I didn't know I couldn't even get in touch with you and that's my older sister and yeah so later on after I had the baby she talked to him one day and she gave him a good piece of her mind and I I was, I, she didn't tell me all that she said, but she told him how for years, how, how could you do that? How could you keep somebody locked away like that? Um, but that's what they do. They keep you isolated. So no, no one will think bad of them. And so that they can continue chirping in your ears is what I called it. Because it was a constant chirp about how I just wasn't good enough and, you know, wasn't talented enough. And you think you're going to go back into radio. Well, I got something else for you. and. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Would you say that that's the reason why you stayed before you had Monique? Because you actually believed that you weren't deserving or that you weren't good enough to go back and be independent? Or did you feel like no. you depended on him and that you needed him and that you weren't good enough without him? I think it was more for the financial thing. Mm. Because we put everything together. We pulled our money together to do everything. Um, 
And I do think a lot of it becomes that mental thing. It's called, to me, it's like a mental infraction. They just keep chirping in your ears and it just keeps fracturing your 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 psyche and, and your belief system yourself. Yeah. So if you were to continue to stay in that relationship, what would you predict would have happened? Like would you be who you well you wouldn't be who you are today, but what do you think your life would look like today? I really think one of us would have died. I'm being totally honest because there's only but so much a person can take. And I just know with my personality, I probably would have killed that man at at one time, you know? Um, Like I said, my mom caught me in a fit of rage one time, just a phone call out of the blue. And that's what stopped me. She's like, he's not worth it. She had never met him. She could only hear the despair in my voice. I never really told anybody what I was going through. I was too ashamed, mm. you know? And the one time, cause I only tried to leave one time. I packed up a suitcase and everything and went to um, a producer's home, one of my BET producer's homes and stayed for less than a week. And then the phone calls start coming and you know, I won't do this again. And just come on, let's talk about it. And you you just want to believe that a person could change or that they do care. And you have such little, such low esteem yourself at this point that they're able to infiltrate and get back in. Influence you. So this actually leads me to my next question, Monica. Based on your own experience and based on what you know about domestic violence. Do you believe that domestic violence abusers have the capacity to change? Why or why not? That is a very good question, Hannah, and one that I can't rightfully answer because I'm not an abuser. But I would think that there is possibility for every one of God's children to do the right thing. I think that abuse begins when a person doesn't have such esteem for themselves. And their only way to be in a relationship is to control that relationship. And they look for people who have these little flaws in them, that have these little needs in them. And that's why when I I have a nonprofit called Let's Spill the Tea, and I talk to young girls about abuse, I talk to them about drug and alcohol use too, because that definitely diminishes your ability to be right, be wrong, make the right or best decisions for yourself. And sometimes your choices in a man, you don't make good choices. So I also talk to them about what they see and what they're exposed to. Mm -hmm. Growing up, I just was not exposed to good relationships a family, you know, friends even, nobody seemed happy. I was going to try to, you know, but do you know what it ever looks like? Do you know what happiness looks like? Do you know what being you on 100% could look like? I didn't reach that until after I left that relationship and had to reprogram myself. 
And I don't know if that answers your question. No, but- it does. It does, Monica. Thank you so much. Abu- you're not an abuser, so you can't answer. I don't have that answer. But I would think if you're one of God's children, that you got to know when stuff is, these guys know that they're doing something wrong. Yeah. But I think unless someone puts them in check, it usually has to be from a male person. They're not going to see that anything is wrong or they're not going to be ever checked for their misbehavior. And what I think, too, is that they carry their own trauma and their own pain from when they were younger. And if they had issues with their parents or if they had issues with a previous relationship and they carry that pain. So now their coping mechanism is to manipulate it is to be abusive because this is their way of like exerting dominance and there's like a whole other topic that we can talk about when it comes to like toxic masculinity and gender roles and it's it's like a whole it's a whole big dynamic of how it forms and how it happens because everyone something like here i met his dad and his dad was super controlling his dad and even his mom told me the dynamics of their relationship and how demeaning he had been to her. And if that's what uh, Monique's dad saw growing up, and if that's what he experienced, it's not a wonder that he was an abusive person because he couldn't feel good about himself. And when people don't feel good about themselves, then they definitely aren't going to make you feel good. Oh, yeah. He didn't have that capacity. Right. Monica, when you were in a relationship with this person, would you did you feel safe to express your boundaries and communicate assertively or did you not feel safe? And let's say that in who our audience right now who's listening to this, let's say that there is someone who's being abused. Would you say that it's okay for them to assert themselves or would you tell them to not because there's a possibility of them being physically abused? First of all, I would say to them, before you even get to that point, realize what that person is doing to make you feel less than who you really are. Um, Your assertion is going to push them over. It, It really is. But before we get to that point, I want you to really, really honor those red flags, see those red flags. It's not going to be the last relationship in the world. There's going to be somebody out there that's going to respect you and love you and treat you like the queen that you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. you got to feel good about that. And that wait period is what I think throws a lot of women off. They don't want to be lonely. I didn't want to be by myself. Girl, now I love being by myself, except now I'm married. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I I never thought I was marriageable material. I never thought that. I never, ever, ever thought that anybody could love me like that. Like my husband does now. Never thought anybody could do that. And that basically was because of him chirping in my ear, you know, and telling me what I was and what I wasn't. So you go through life believing somebody else's perception of you. That ain't the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So would you say that they should assert themselves once 
they find their self-worth and they realize that this is not something I deserve. This is not where I belong. But what if there's a possibility of the abuser physically hitting them? Somebody's got to know where you are in this situation. In other words, it's okay to tell someone. It's okay to talk. Because sometimes that's going to be the only way you're going to swat at that chirping that he's putting in your head. You've got to open up. You've got to let somebody know what's going on in your situation. And I know that you say, or he may hit you. You know what? If somebody else knows and you let that abuser know, listen, I've already talked to somebody. The stronger you start standing up for yourself, the more that abuser is going to, uh, before, listen, I've already told you, you know, I, I've already spoken to so-and-so and so, and they know what you, what, who you are and what you do to me. I, I'm, I'm really telling you, that talking to other people and letting other people know what's going on in your life definitely does a lot because that way you, you'll find you're not alone. A lot of times abused women think that it's only them or we think that we're the cause of it. You're not the cause of this. This is this person's messed up way of being in a relationship, this manipulation. It is not right. You can speak up for yourself. You should speak up for yourself. You must speak up for yourself. You have to. You have to. Wow. Thank you so much, Monica, for that. I'm like in awe right now because, yeah, you have to. That's that's one you, of the You have to. You have to. You cannot let um, every moment in life counts. And you cannot let uh, um, a sick person take those moments away from you. You're not going to get those moments back. And when I think about how much time I lost from me and doing things that I wanted to do over those years, that's developing years. You don't get those back. You deserve to be treated like the best, you know, given all of the, the, the wonders of the world, because that's what we're here to do. We're here to love each other. And if you can't find somebody that's going to give it to you and give it to you the right way, that ain't the person for you. And it took me a minute. And I can honestly tell you that because of the situation with my daughter's dad and me not trusting myself, I gave myself, it gave me time to get to know me. It gave me time to understand a little bit more about Robin Monica Man. And sometimes we don't want to sit with ourselves and get to know ourselves. Mm -hmm. I implore each of you to do that. Get to know what you like. Get to know what you want to do before you take on a relationship. And that's a lesson in itself to teen girls. Yeah, you got so much to give. But I didn't. I didn't grow up with anybody saying to me. So what do you want to do later on in life? I mean. We need guidance. We need guidance. Yeah. We, we're, not, we're not getting that. We need to be told we're, we're, we're beautiful flowers, beautiful beings. Mm -hmm. But we're not told those things. And so I think a lot of developing an esteemed girl who's looking for an esteemed young man 
is going to come from when we're really young and just putting in that those affirmations because if if we're if we don't believe we're good we're going to let anything bad come our way yeah we're going to attract the bad we're going to attract the toxicity yeah that's true and i and that's a whole nother discussion too hannah mm-hmm. what are you attracting what are you attracting that's a very important question because who you are is what you will attract and if you believe that you're someone who isn't worthy you believe you're not beautiful or you don't deserve to be treated like like you said a flower then you're going to attract someone who doesn't treat you like that and then you're going to start it's like there's i forgot what bias it's called if it's the affirmation bias but it's like what you believe about yourself is what you attract and then when you attract it you're like yeah i told you this is what i get this is what i deserve mm-hmm. so it's like you're not opening your mind to say no i deserve better i deserve the love that i want so that's that's a really important point and something that i've also been recognizing like in the work that i t- do as well is that it's often hard when people who haven't been in a loving and caring relationship, they don't know what a healthy relationship looks like. Mm-hmm. They're unable to decipher between unhealthy and abusive behavior and then normal relationship difficulties I... and what that looks like. So how can someone be able to identify whether what's happening is abusive or whether it's normal? I think what happens is you have to trust your gut mm-hmm. your gut will tell you when somebody just disrespected you your gut will tell you when um uh, you know people have to stop play fighting too that's that's the other thing don't let somebody kind of snatch you up or just whatever 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 don't get involved in things like that understand that you were created for goodness If what someone says does not make you feel good, if what someone does does not affirm you, that's not who you need to be with. A person needs to treat you like the person you are, and they will if that's what you show them. I I was literally talking to my friend about this because she's actually in a relationship right now where it's like, you know how it's human nature when someone doesn't want you and it's like you want them more, but then when you have them, it's like, oh, this is not what I want. So I keep telling her, like, listen to your intuition, listen to your gut. You know deep down that this person will not be able to give you what you want. And I think it also goes back to knowing your needs and your desires in a relationship too, because we all have different love languages, attachment styles. So it's like, it's very intricate as well. So like what Monica said, going back to yourself, asking yourself, what do I need? What do I want? What do I deserve? This is what helps you navigate through relationships. And obviously like, There are relationships that come and go. Some people enter in our lives for a season to teach us a lesson. And you're not always going to get it on the first try, unfortunately. But Mm -hmm. take relationships as they come, appreciate them for what they are. And then when it's time to let go, let go. And when it's time that you're like, like what Monica said, when she saw her husband, she was like, this is my husband. This is it. You know, and and I will also say one more thing that 
I, I want, I want, because oh, it's something I, I wish I had done. Mm-hmm. I want girls to wait. I want girls to wait before they have a relationship. Wait before you get intimate. Moms, realize what's going on. Hormones change after a certain time period in a young girl's life. But along with those hormones changing and them starting to feel themselves and wanting to be intimate with someone, you have to tap into some of the things to get them engaged in. Some dance um, classes, some whatever. Keep them active because to go off and get a little boyfriend when they're 13, 14, 15, you're leaving them to their own devices. Um, I did a tea not too long ago, and my teas are for girls 14 to 21. And there were two young girls who had come on a retreat that I did years ago. They were underage. They went to my church, so we let them come in. One of those girls had suicidal ideation, suicide ideation. Segway to just this past year, they're teenagers now. And I think they're maybe nine months apart, 10 months apart, something like that. Very close in age. They're being raised by their grandma. One day, one girl came with her. And I said, well, where's, oh, we left her home. She's, she's with her granddad. And I said, don't ever do that. You gave her 90 minutes of uninterrupted free time on a Sunday afternoon. She needs to be with you. She's already expressed how hot she is for this guy. Mm-hmm. She's got 90 minutes of free time to act on that. And I say that because as young girls, we equate intimacy with he loves me. Yes. Intimacy true. with he cares about me. This push, this shove. Oh, he just did it because, you know, I made him mad. This repeated phone calls to you. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's just checking up on me. He's just concerned. No, snatching your phone to look at your text messages, stalking your social media. This is not controlling who you follow, controlling what you can like, taking your passwords, knowing every single password that you have, being able to access that. I, I tell I tell moms, you know, make sure that you're monitoring who these girls are with. It's important. It is so important because nine times out of 10, they're not going to tell you when something goes wrong. Because yeah. they don't want to hear, I told you so. And they also don't want to disappoint you. Yeah. So you, you know when something's going on. Like my mom knew and I'm miles away and I'm much older. But she also knew when something was going wrong. So, you know, just have a hand in in your daughter's life a little bit more and help her grow up to appreciate the woman that God meant her to be. Mm -hmm. Monica, how were you able to repair your self-esteem and your self-worth after so many years of emotional and physical abuse? That's a great question, Hannah. It took a lot of time. It took a lot of... I journal a lot mm-hmm. and I have read, reread some of my journals and it'll make you cry some of the things that I was going through, but I also saw my growth 
too. Mm-hmm. You have got to know that you're here for a purpose. You have got to know that you're one of the best. And I don't mean the best uh, speech maker or the best. What You're one of the best because that's how you were created. We have to begin to develop a trust for our own gut instinct. And when something doesn't feel right, typically it's because it's not right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the one thing that we have to begin to really, really trust. Trust your gut. Your gut ain't going to steer you wrong. Because it's true. You Deep down, you know what's right, you what's wrong. You choose whether you listen to it or accept it. And that's the thing. It's like, it's it's counterintuitive because it's like your your mind is telling you like this is what you need to do with but your heart is like no he loves me like i need to stay with him because i love him and i care about him and then when the two are fighting against each other you're not going to be at ease because it's like i should leave but i don't want to so it's also making sure that your mind and your body like your soul they're in unison with each other. So because people aren't going to change who they are. Right. You have to be the one to initiate change. And I'll say that again. Brothers and sisters, that guy is not going to change. He's not going to change. He is who he is. You are who you are. You have the ability to walk away. And you have to trust your gut when you see those flags. And you have got to be strong enough to walk away. Because again, I tell people, I deal with middle school students all the time. I deal with high schoolers, college. The people you know now, you're not going to know them later on. So stop putting so much faith or value into those relationships. Kindle them, sure. But if it doesn't feel right, even if a girl is tripping and doing crazy things when you, and she's a girlfriend of yours, let her go. You've got, it's about preservation. It's about making sure that you are taking care of yourself. And we need to teach self-care earlier too, especially mental health now more so than ever with social media. Mm -hmm. And I will say, just to add on what you said, Monica, is to people show you who they are. So trust their actions over words every single time. Believe them. Yes. Believe them. Believe actions over words because there are people who will hurt you and they will consistently hurt you and they will apologize to you every single time and say, I'm sorry, I'll be better. I'll do this. Just don't leave me. Like you're my life. You're my world. I love you. And then you stay with this person. And then again, it's going to happen again. It's a pattern. You always have to trust patterns. And this is actually something that I've learned too and like doing this kind of work and in my own experiences as well is that people, when it comes to guys, when it comes to girls, there are people who will tell you the sweetest things in the world and you want to believe them because mm-hmm. that's just who we are. You know, we want to believe that we're, you know, lovable and that people mm-hmm. care about us and we want to feel loved, but you can't trust words you always have to trust actions so and th- and that's a good point you have to trust actions because your actions are going to speak louder to me than your words you yeah. know and then <clears throat> you hear somebody say i love you girl 
How? Why? Do you really know me? And that's the other thing. We jump into relationships with people we don't even know. You don't know their background. You don't know their family history. I mean, you say, but I'm like 16, 17. Why do I need to know all of that? Well, you need to know a little bit more than we do about the people that we're going and being around with. What's their character like? What are they going to do when no one's watching? What are they going to do when people are watching? You have to be really careful. And I know I'm scaring some people, but listen, a person doesn't just become an abuser overnight. They're taught. I'll leave you with this. Yeah, they're taught, but they've shown you signs already. Wow. Wow. Very true, Monica. Very true. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. This conversation is just amazing because you're you're directing the conversation and you're teaching and you're providing such wisdom into relationships yeah, and to trust your gut. So thank you for that. Would you say that you have completely healed from this trauma that you've experienced, even though it's been such a long time ago? Or are there still tendencies that you notice about yourself? Like, are there still times when you hear his chirping in your head? Or are there still times when you'll question your gut or you'll doubt yourself? Um, nope, not anymore. How are you? Not anymore. I have fully grown away from the young Monica May that I was, the one that was insecure, the one who did things for his approval or, mm -mm. no, I, I started living for me, Hannah, once I had Monique, because I'm going to tell you something. Having a baby, and I don't want to encourage everybody to do this, especially to become a single mom, mm -hmm. but I don't know that I thought about there being a partnership when I had Monique. I'm from a single mom. My grandmother, I, you know, she was a single mom. Generationally, that's what was happening in my family single women, those who had their husbands, they were either, uh, they drank a lot or they um, very dismissive. They weren't around a lot. And so I just knew that I could be a great mom because I wanted to give a child and preferably a daughter, uh, everything that I had not been given. So I wanted to put esteem into them. I wanted to just show them how to be loved and how to be a caring individual. I wanted to give them time. Now that's the one thing that I didn't have a lot of, but my daughter understood it because she was with me wherever I went. Whatever assignment I was on, I made provisions for my daughter to go. Listen, there were times when I had to do things out at Disney when I worked for 102 Jams and I would be out there for days and I would just get a packet of her homework and she would have to do her homework and then she could come on set with me. So I just, she's always been such a, a big part of my life. Do we make the best decisions in parenting? Didn't come with the rule book. I'm doing the best that I could. Has she made some of the same mistakes? Yeah, but we're able to talk about them, mm -hmm. you know? And I, I just, there, there is something, Hannah, that's really, really important. Girls need their dads. 
Girls need good role modeling. And that's why I just say, let's just be a little more cautious of who we get involved with because it's not just a one and done. Life is forever. And what you put into that child, they'll remember forever. Yeah. So I think it's important. So no, I, I don't feel bad. I don't hear the chirping anymore. It took a moment for it to stop. But once you don't hear it anymore, you oh, forget. You forget. So for anyone listening, if you are in an abusive relationship, if you're in an unhealthy relationship, it'll take time, but yeah. it will go away. Monica, the last question that I have for you today is, what is one thing you would say to someone who is currently in an unhealthy or abusive relationship? Do you love yourself? I think you do. Are you happy? I don't think you are. Do you realize how good you are, how important you are, how you fill a role and a space that was designed specifically for you. You can't be there in that role, filling that space if you don't feel 100%. And if somebody's making you feel less than, you need to move on. There are other people out there or you may need to spend this season by yourself. Being alone isn't the worst thing in the world. Being alone gives you time to realize who you are, realize whose you are, and realize what you will and will not stand for. Being alone is not the worst thing in the world. It's what you make of the time that we have. And remember, we don't have a whole lot of moments in life. Use your time wisely and be selfish. Take care of you and trust your gut. When it doesn't feel right, Probably it's because it's not right. Just trust you. Monica, thank you so much. This conversation was absolutely amazing. I can't. Oh. <laughs> I appreciate you so much, Monica. Thank you for being here. Hannah, thank you so much for having me. And I hope my words have been um, of help to someone. I pray that. Thank you for listening to the Victim Service Center podcast. The VSC is a nonprofit organization that provides free, confidential counseling services for victims of any kind of trauma in Central Florida. The views and opinions expressed by podcast participants are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the Victim Service Center of Central Florida. This podcast content is made available for informational and educational purposes, and the VSC does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy or completeness of the content. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. To learn more about our services, please visit victimservicecenter.org. And to everyone listening, healing is not linear and you are not alone.